0: Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. When no agreement can be reached, no agreement is necessary. Trade barriers should be lowered regardless of whether one's trading partners make concessions. So argues Professor Jagdish Bhagwati, a member of the advisory board at the Cato Center for Trade Policy Studies, in Going Alone, the Case for Relaxed Reciprocity in Freeing Trade. In a phone interview with the Cato Institute, Professor Brigwadi explains why unilateral liberalization is the way to go. You've produced extensive research, most recently culminating in the book Going Alone, in which you've made the case again and again that trade is good and free trade is even better. After what happened at the Doha Round, how do we get there?
1: Oh, uh, the Doha Round is still not dead. I mean, you know, you frequently get deadlines which are not filled. This happened with Uruguay Round, which went on for over eight years. And before that, the Tokyo Round was about five years. So is still in our fifth year of negotiations. And I think the real deadline at the moment is, is really end of July. And so people will probably come back. But the, the main problem, of course, is that all the countries which are in in, in real play in terms of making concessions, which is, of course, the wrong kind of word to use because trade liberalization, your own trade liberalization is good for you also. Uh, So the language of concessions is, in a sense, slightly misleading, to say the least. So I think what you have is a situation where people are still not willing to play, and I think they're still holding their cards close to the chest. I think we have to now going for what I have called in my book relaxed reciprocity, because recognizing that your own trade liberalization is also good for you, to keep insisting that the others make large concessions is not necessarily a sensible idea, and then to hold up your own concessions just for that reason. So if you're relaxed about it and, you know, get something for, by of reciprocity, you should be content with it and go ahead and liberalize yourself in in a fulsome fashion. And I think the United States can actually do that. There are many people now who feel that uh, the U.S. is actually ma- making maximalist demands, not taking into account the political constraints of other countries. And I think it's time for us to to go in for a relaxed reciprocity in the United States itself.
0: But historically, trade between nations has been established through reciprocal trade agreements.
1: Not necessarily. In my book, I point out lots of cases where, in fact, considerable unilateral trade liberalization has taken place. Take India, where I come from. We had an average manufacturing tariff of a little over 75 percent. This is an applied tariff, meaning the one which really actually applies, not the sort of bound ceilings, which are much higher in many cases for many countries. So the applied tariff was about 75 percent. And on our own, we brought it down in India to about um, an average of 15 to 20 percent, depending on how you weight the the tariffs. So uh, a huge amount of trade liberalization took place without anybody telling India to do it. They just did it because they realized it was a good thing for themselves and that really excessive trade trade tariff and trade barriers Really bad for Indian industry, and in fact, nothing happened to Indian industry, which was deleterious. And so, Indian industry at the moment is, is actually rather confident about being able to make further concessions in the context of the Doha round. What held up the Indian concessions was the demands being made on the agricultural sector, not on the manufacture sector. And there, I suppose, the Indian Indian agricultural lobbies are probably as, as difficult as the ones in the EU and US.
0: The book you edited, Going Alone. Makes an excellent case for lowering trade barriers. But if the United States does so, doesn't it lose the leverage to pressure other countries to follow suit?
1: No, because in many cases, people are going to be reducing their own trade barriers because they see it to be in their own interest. If the United States keeps insisting that you've got to open up your own trade barriers, meaning other people's trade barriers, Uh, much more effectively, people often will get suspicious and think this is really for U.S. advantage rather than their advantage. So when Prime Minister Peel in 1848 repealed the Corn laws and introduced used to unilateral free trade for the first time. He said in Parliament that keeping on asking France to reduce its trade barriers reciprocally, it hadn't gotten anywhere, because in many cases, the French felt that the more the Brits insisted on doing so, uh, on the French going along with reciprocal tariff cuts, that many French people really thought that this was really to to British advantage. So the Prime Minister Peel said, well, I mean, we will just unilaterally abolish the, the corn laws and the... Uh, considerable duties on imports of agriculture, which is what Britain was importing at that time, Uh, and that our success will itself lead others by example to reduce their own trade barriers, what I call in the book induce reciprocity down the line. So uh, there is some element of that. I mean, if if we do well, which I'm bound to do, my opening our markets further and more more dramatically, and that itself is going to show to others that we are doing well. And in fact, this is actually what happened with Japan also, when we were busy bashing Japan, saying that Japan was closed and we were open and this was unfair. At that time, I used to go to Japan quite a bit, and, and the Minister of Industrial and Industry, which was in charge of Japan's trade barriers in Japan's industry, the senior bureaucrats were telling me that they had realized that Japanese industry could get quite flabby behind trade, trade barriers. So they were keen to relax them, you know, even if any pressure from the United States disappeared in, in terms of reciprocity.
0: Is relaxed reciprocity politically feasible in the United States?
1: Yeah, it's just a matter of saying, look, I mean, we, we've we gotten some concessions. If you say, look, no concessions from the other side, then, of course, I don't think in America it's feasible because I think our lobbies are very strong. But I think the export lobbies really want to go for the jugular of, of, of other countries, basically, and try and get as many concessions as they can. But on the other hand, we also do settle for, for a whole lot of things, like um, Clayton the Eider, who was handling the Uruguay Round for some time, and he was our secretary of agriculture. He made a zero option uh, demand, which was remove all trade barriers and subsidies in agriculture. And that's a kind of nuclear option from the point of view of um, a lot of people. And in the end, Of course, we had to settle for much less, and so we did settle for much less. And the much less was simply converting all the quotas which we had into tariffs. So that was called tarification process. Uh, And the actual reduction in trade barriers was nothing. But we managed to finally bring agriculture back into the WTO because we had originally done the U.S. demand uh, had obtained uh, an agricultural waiver in 1955. So we were finally, after almost 50 years, correcting our folly, as it were, and putting it back into the system. But no real concessions were made beyond just a tarification. This time, again, our demands are on the high side, but not, not as much as Clayton is here option. And we'll have to settle for what we can get. And I think the, it should be possible for the U.S. congressman to tell people that... It's not just our politics that's important, but other people have politics too. And so while we cannot, for instance, remove all our subsidies in one fell swoop, and we're not offering that, so while we'll continue with with a lot of our support to expect other people to go beyond what they think their political constraints are, is a bit sort of um, (laughs) odd, uh, let me put it that way. If we want to claim that our politics prevents us from making much bigger cuts in our agricultural support, recognize that other people have politics too. Unfortunately for us, democracy has broken out in in a whole lot of countries and people who offer concessions have to go through the same convolutions and negotiate all the same political minefields as our Congress has to do. So I think lowering your ambition and being not too tight-fisted about How much we extract, as it were, from other countries and having a relaxed attitude and being able to convince our own constituents and our lobbies that, look, uh, as long as we make progress, let's settle this and then go on with another round. And in the meantime, try and liberalize as much as you can and keep your markets open, like our uh, service sector markets have been fairly open, you know, quite unilaterally, despite complaints from people like Senator Schumer and so on.
0: What can we hope for for the U.S.-Korea trade agreement? South Koreans don't seem amenable at all to the prospect.
1: Yeah, I'm not a great aficionado of bilateral agreements because I think they clutter up the trading system with all kinds of preferences. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that. I mean, I I really would be rooting for for the failure of the agreement, um, no matter what the reason. Because I think the more we have of these things, the more the multiplication of preferences. And I, I think MFN, meaning having uniform trade barriers or trade tariffs for the world at large is clearly the, the better way to go. But unfortunately, the United States has joined in with the EU in proliferating these bilateral agreements, which started in all these preferences, sometimes known among economists as a European disease. This is something where the United States has really uh, failed to exercise leadership and, and has actually added to the complexity of the trading system from the point of view of uniformity and, and rationality.
0: This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.